Good morning, uh, Jeff. Always a pleasure to chat with you, uh, talking talking Trump again. How you doing? Oh, good. Uh, it's nice to be back with you, Shane. So obviously today, Jeff, is midterms. We don't know uh, how this whole thing is going to play out, whether we're going to see a blue wave and the Senate and the House will both switch or, or not. But uh, just uh, from your side of things, you and I have talked a lot about some of the problems that are nipping at the heels of U.S. President Donald Trump, but chief among them the Russia probe and uh, Robert Mueller looking into that and uh, possible impeachment perhaps down the road. So as we look at repercussions with whatever happens today, I mean, if the, if the Dems do end up flipping the House and the Senate, uh, does this present some, some problems for Mr. Trump? Well, I mean, the short answer to your question is if that happens, that it does present a series of problems. I think that's an unlikely, uh, an outcome that many people, or myself included, are hoping for, but it's it's an unlikely outcome. And I think, you know, the, the, the more likely outcome, I mean, if we're predicting, and there's all kinds of reasons we might want to refrain from predicting, but I think that most of the predicting minds and the data suggest that there may well be movement in the House uh, towards a changing of hands from Republicans to Democrats, but the Senate's an awfully hard road to hew. Um, a lot of mainstream Democrats um, have not been campaigning on impeachment and have not promised impeachment um, if they are um, elected. Uh, and the politics behind the reason that they're doing that are, uh, you know, I think it's, in my opinion, I think most Democrats actually should be more forthright and should say we're going to impeach and we have a, an obligation to impeach, but I think they want to keep their options open. And I don't think there's necessarily a taste for it among the leadership of the Congressional uh, Democratic Party. Um, so again, um, you know, I don't think this is necessarily going to lead directly to impeachment. It's going to lead to more investigations for the if the Democrats win both houses, certainly to more investigations and likely to protective um, legislation uh, for Mr. Mueller and his inquiry to avoid the, the ability of him to be uh, fired, kind of returning, I think, to the pre-1999 situation with uh, independent counsel where they're more inoculated from being tampered with by a president. Uh, but if, you know, just the lower house turns over, I think some of this stuff might happen. There might be more inquiries. It'll certainly slow down the gears of government. Uh, but whether we can expect immediately impeachment um, proceedings, it's unlikely. And again, even if the Democrats do um, seize the lower house, I mean, they have to convict, um, you know, in the in the Senate um, with the, with um you know, a significant number of votes above, you know, just a bare majority. So really, it's it's hard to see the road unless even even if the Democrats won the upper house, that they get some more Republican support again. It's not enough for the House to just impeach and send the thing to trial at Senate if the if the if the president then gets acquitted in the Senate. So essentially, it's got to be both, or or the road becomes pretty problematic. I think everything. I think a lot of things are going to grind to a halt. I think there's things that can be done to. Um, to 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 certainly stop the onward march of the Trump agenda and to put some all kinds of restraints on the president from just a changing of hands in the lower house. But certainly, I think the likelihood of impeachment, you know, the lower house voting to impeach and send something to the Senate with no likelihood of success is low. So, I mean, I don't think it's a likely outcome. That said, of course, it's very likely that Mr. Mueller's report is going to be forthcoming soon. Um, and depending on how much or how little of that is made public and what the public response is to it, and again, depending on the outcome of the election, any number of scenarios are certainly within the realm of possibility. Uh, on the, on the, we obviously, don't, again, don't know what's in the Mueller report whenever that yeah. may or may not hit the table. But, and uh, there's risk that we never will. That's a, that's a really a major area of concern, I think. Oh, really? You might just stay completely locked up, you think? Well, not completely, but to some extent, there may be some things that are subject to, um, that, are, that are seen by members of Congress, but that aren't publicly available. 
And so, again, uh, what happens to the Mueller report will in part depend on what's the content and uh, of Congress itself. Um, but it's not clear how widely released those findings are going to be and how widely released those um, recommendations are going to be. So there's there's certainly no you know no certainty around. I think American people and I think American um, public and um, you know Democratic leaders would be very um, right to be you know quite angry and disappointed if this report is not given. A wide distribution, but there are levers available which may make that less more than likely. All right. Uh, one of the things you've talked about uh, with me in the past, Jeff, is the chances of an obstruction of justice out of all the things that may or may not hit the table. Uh, if that's what we end up seeing, is, is that enough to kind of get the wheels of impeachment rolling or even outrage among the American people to begin talking about that or, or no? Well, I mean, the obstruction of justice is the usual basis upon which, that was the basis upon which Bill Clinton was impeached, right? And that was the basis that Richard Nixon was threatened to be impeached. And I, in my opinion, the legal case for obstruction of justice against um, Mr. Trump, based on the publicly available information, is stronger than any case uh, that was ever available against either Nixon or Clinton. So the idea that there's any question that there's, even before the Mueller report, a strong case to be made for obstruction of justice is, to my mind, itself suspect. So I think that's really already already clear. I think that the there's so much evidence of obstruction of justice, including Mr. Trump's comments to the entire world with Lester Holt on NBC News that he fired Mr. Um, Mueller because it was making things difficult for Mr. him. I mean, he was very upset about that. So Sorry, he fired Mr. Comey because he was making things um, difficult. I mean, the, the, so it's going to be a matter of political will. Um, but yeah, that's the main vehicle, I think, that would be for uh, for removing Mr. Trump from office. Of course, there are other things having nothing to do with the Russia investigation, which also make, which are also high crimes and misdemeanors, which potentially make Mr. Trump uh, impeachable. And these include uh, what's called violations of the emoluments clause, as in the idea that um, through not divesting himself of his businesses, he may be benefiting directly and indirectly from his role as president and his role as a private citizen a business person, and that those are also uh, should be impeachable offenses, high crimes and misdemeanors, and there are several lawsuits going ahead on that, and that could provide further grounds. But around the question of collusion itself, which doesn't refer to a specific crime, but really refers to a kind of series of behaviors and uh, different crimes, um, the idea that whether that collusion exists or not or can be proven is irrelevant. The obstruction of justice can occur even in the absence of the underlying crime, and I think the evidence, like I say, in plain view for the whole public is already there based on the track record. All right. Uh, one other issue I wanted to bounce off you, and it kind of, my ears perked up over the weekend when Mr. Trump was uh, busy holding all sorts of campaign events ahead of, of the midterms. Uh, it was been focusing on this migrant caravan that's worming its way up from Mexico to the border and making out like that's a huge issue. Uh, and one of the things he brought up in sort of that context was uh, in sending the army to the southern border of the United States saying, you know, uh, if any of these migrants uh, start tossing rocks or stuff, we aren't going to put up with that, essentially saying it would be a license for his soldiers to open fire. Yeah. And I, I kind of thought to myself, you know, uh, this guy is he's no stranger to kind of stepping in it and putting himself in a bit of a legal quagmire. But you mm. know, if U.S. troops open fire on, on anybody at the border and, and, and they say, well, you know, the president kind of gave us the green light to do that, I imagine that that legally would be would be an interesting situation. Oh well, it certainly. I mean, under international, there are American, you know, um, military, um, you know, is subject uh, to international law, although they have on occasion 
uh, U.S. governments have denied that. Um, the, the idea that shooting an unarmed, non-combatant civilian is, uh, is illegal, according, it's not only illegal, it's obviously immoral. And I think it's no coincidence that, you know, this is that, that discussion and that demonization of that migrant caravan led to two important things happening. One, it led to Barack Obama really speaking up quite uh, uh, clearly against Mr. Trump by name on this specific issue and, for the, and, and really going above and beyond what any um, normal uh, former president would say about their successor. This really brought him out of, I think, some of the initial reserve that he had felt around that. So that's a significant message, I think, to the American people. The other thing is it's quite clear that the military is not going to just obey illegal commands and that they have said, and I think there should be some reason, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate this is our last line of defense, as it were, um, but it seems to me that the military, the cooler heads in the military prevailing and recognize the extent to which some of these hyperbolic statements aren't, um, you know, aren't, aren't, aren't orders that should be obeyed. And then, of course, Mr. Trump realizing that himself, you know, backed off of this. Yeah. You have to wonder how many headaches he gives his lawyers behind the scenes. <laughs> well, I mean, he gives them enormous headaches, and that's why he's had a revolving door in terms of who's willing to be his lawyer. And that's why a lot of the best lawyers haven't been willing to come anywhere um, near him, and again, the difficulty that in, and this is came out in the context of uh, Mr. McGon, who was his uh, White House counsel and has just left. Uh, you know, he never understood that the white, even the White House counsel, never mind the Justice Department, they're not his lawyers personally. The White House counsel is there to advise the institution of the presidency, right? So the White House counsel would be telling him, you know, don't make statements like that because they're not, you know, they're they're not. It's not, it's not. They're not there to defend him on that. They're there to say that the presidency. You're bringing the presidency into disrepute, and there's no doubt that Mr. Trump wouldn't like hearing that, and he would feed the red meat to his base regardless. Mm. Perfect. Anything else on the radar, Jeff? Or no? Um, you know, I I think we're going to just look with great interest at the um, at the um, at the midterms. I think there's a couple races in particular which I'm watching really closely. Uh, I'm watching Stacey Abrams, uh, who's running for governor against uh, uh, an African-American woman, uh, very, very well-qualified, very articulate and inspirational person, running against a Republican in Atlanta, Georgia, in, in Georgia. And then you have Andrew Gillum uh, running uh, as an uh, African-American uh, man running for uh, governor, also a very dynamic individual in Florida, and as well as Beto O'Rourke running for the Senate against Ted Cruz in Texas. So I think we're all going to be looking at some of these uh, some of these races in in states which have been described variously as purple or at least red and trending purple um, to see if some of the new demographic changes in terms of the populations in some of these states where you have larger and larger groups of middle class African Americans larger and larger groups of Hispanic speaking immigrants who are coming online young people who want to vote are these people going to come out are they going to vote for candidates that represent the diversity of their jurisdiction and is that going to change uh, the balance of power in our system, and, or the U.S. system, I should say. And, and un- un- conversely, we're going to be looking at um, uh, 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 congressional districts that in the 2016 election went from being, uh, went turned to Trump, and who had in 2008 or 2012 voted for Obama. We're going to see if those people, quote-unquote, come home to the Democratic Party or if they're permanently lost to the Republicans. And those are a lot of people in the what we sometimes call the exurbs or the kind of suburban areas that are between urban and rural. And so what happens, you know, in both of those kinds of areas, again, in the deep south in some of these states, that's going to be an important indicator for 2020, as are going to be whether or not some of these... Um, you know, floating supporters who it's hard to contemplate, but that at one point voted for Barack Obama and then later changed their mind. Are they going to 
you know, where are they going to park their votes or are they going to sit it out? And, you know, these are going to be the factors which um, shape the outcome. So I think we'll all be looking very closely at that and we'll be thinking about what messages can be taken away for that for 2020 and for those who are thinking about the many people who are thinking about challenging Mr. Trump, particularly on the Democratic side and then obviously on the Republican side if there's anybody who wants to challenge him in the primary. Yeah, no kidding. It's going to be an exciting uh, night to watch. Uh, Jeff, always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Pleasure being on.